Hi, thank you for joining us. This is Wendy Steinberg, your caffeinated college coach. And today we have Becca George with us, who she lives like 30 minutes from me. And I'm so excited. Maybe one day we'll actually meet. We can get coffee. Oh, coffee for sure. For sure. I'll come to you. Oh, perfect. Um, And she's originally from Milwaukee and is a Actually, I'm Iowa, then Milwaukee, and now Wisconsin. So... Whoa. I've been all over. We'll have to talk about all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, She has been a teacher for 24 years and she's helped her own kids get through college as well. So I'm going to turn it over to Becca and have her introduce herself and tell us a little bit more about her story. Oh, goodness. Well, my story started in very rural Western Iowa. I grew up on a farm. Um, so the closest town had 200 people. And then, um, I actually lived a couple miles outside of that and lived on a gravel road for my whole life. So kind of, you know, a very rural lifestyle. Um, I went to a high, small regional high school. Um, it was the whole Western part of our County and we had five different towns. And even with those five towns, my graduating class had about 60 people. So, you know, it was a very small school and we had, you know, kind of an opportunity to do a little bit of everything. And as I was getting ready to come on this podcast, I really tried to put myself back into the, like my, you know, my footsteps when I was making the decision about where to go to college and what my options were. And it was really interesting to kind of look at it now from 20. 25 years later and kind of revisit those choices that I made. I think because I did come from such a rural area, um, I had a very small worldview and I, you know, I briefly thought about attending, you know, like a bigger university. My uncle was a Dean at Kansas state university, which was about four hours away and was a big school Manhattan. Yep. He was a Dean of engineering there. And I also thought about, um, University of Iowa. I'm a big Hawkeye fan and my whole family always has been. And that was, that was also about four hours away. And I think I was a little intimidated by the the thought of going to a bigger school after um, just being in such a small, you know, school for my high school years. And I also think looking back, both of my maternal grandparents passed away when I was a junior in high school. Um, they both died of cancer within a month of each other. And so that was kind of a, they had lived close to us. We were a very close family. I watched my mom take care of them. And so I think, you know, having that happen so close to when I was trying to make this decision, um, and I never talked about it with my mom. So I don't think that she would have wanted me to stay close to home mm-hmm. because of that. But I think I just kind of internally made that decision. So I ended up um, going to my mom's alma mater. And I think to her story, she started at a big university at Iowa State, her freshman year of college, and was terribly homesick. And I heard lots of stories about that as I was growing up. And then she transferred to a small private college, Morningside College, which is in Sioux City, Iowa. And that is ultimately where I ended up going. And um, I had a great experience there. They were known for um, their education program, which is, again, I was really torn in what I thought I wanted to do. I I was pretty sure I wanted to be a teacher. And I think, again, that small worldview, I had very, 
I would say there were not a lot of role models in our community of women who did things other than teaching or nursing. And so when I looked at those two options, (laughs) I should not be anybody's nurse ever. (laughs) So like that was immediately out. Like, you don't want me being your nurse. So, and I've always been drawn to kids and um, just those relationships you can build with kids. So I went that route. And then I briefly thought about possibly being a history major. I love history. I love political science. But again, I thought, I really thought all I could do with that degree was teach high school. And that age group was Mm -hmm. not, I didn't think was for me. And I still probably think it's, it wouldn't be for me, but I just decided, you know, okay, elementary education is the way to go. So I actually graduated college in three and a half years so I could get married because my mom said that I couldn't get married until I was done with college. And I got engaged at the end of my sophomore year. And so we kind of moved our wedding up from May to December because I thought a Christmas wedding would be pretty and beautiful. And it was, but yeah, I graduated in three and a half years. And eventually I went on and got my master's degree in education. And I added on once we moved to Wisconsin um, in my early thirties, I added on early childhood, which, you know, back in my undergrad, I was like, I don't want my early childhood. I don't want to work with the really young kids. And then I started doing that as part of my job as a title one teacher, where I would go into lots of different classrooms and provide support. And I fell in love with the little ones. And so the last 10 years of my career in the classroom, I was a kindergarten and first grade teacher. And I, um, would loop with kids and keep them for two years. So I would take them at the beginning of kindergarten and I was their kindergarten and first grade teacher. And then I'd send them off and start over with a new group. So. Yeah. How big was Morningside? Is it Morningside College? They, it is, it was, they just in the last couple of months switched to Morningside University. So they've like had a glow up like, woo. But I would say they, I just read they had the largest freshman class and I want to say it was around 400 kids, okay. four or 500. Um, so pretty small. And it was interesting because of my class of 60 from my high school, I would say that I'm trying to remember the number now, eight to 10 of us all went to Morningside College. Wow. And so it was, it was kind of funny when my freshman year, I was actually the homecoming representative for the freshman class. And I think that's just because there were so many people from my high school, they didn't know anyone else to vote for. They're like, okay, I'll vote for Becca. And so it was just kind of funny. So, and it, I think too, I was, it was interesting because I went to such a small school in high school and I was in everything. That's the advantage to a small high school. Mm-hmm. They basically did not cut you from any sports. You could play all the sports you wanted. You could be in every musical group. So I was in everything the school offered except golf, I think. So I was a little burned out when I got to college. I kind of took a little break and just focused on academics and didn't do a lot of extracurricular activities, mostly because I just wanted a little break. And But it's funny because my kids who have both gone through the college selection process now, and I've walked through them, you know, with them. I went and visited the University of Iowa with my daughter when like she was a junior in high school and looking at it as an adult touring with her, I can totally like, oh, I would have been fine if I had gone here, you know, if I had kind of stepped out of my bubble Mm -hmm. and kind of expanded my horizons, you know, 
And ultimately she, both of my kids went to the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. So they both loved, that's a very um, urban campus. It's just North of downtown Milwaukee. So it's fun to watch them flourish Mm -hmm. in that kind of environment that I was myself a little bit afraid of. So that's kind of fun as a parent to watch them go through that. And but they weren't raised in a small community like you were, right? I would say it's slightly, it was slightly larger. We lived okay. about 40 minutes outside of Milwaukee. Um, and, you know, it's funny because everything's relative. In Wisconsin, it was considered a rural community. But to us coming from Iowa, it was not rural at all. You know, <laughs> so that's like, it's okay. like kind of like apples and oranges. I would say their graduating classes had around 200, 250 kids. So quite a bit bigger. And so they had, you know, some opportunities there in high school to do some fun things and they were ready to get out of that small. I mean, it was a smaller town. Um, Our town Elkhorn had about 10,000 people, maybe 12,000 people. Um, And they were just ready to kind of get out of there and head for the city and, you know, chart their own course, I guess. Did they have any problems acclimating to an urban campus? I don't think so. They both just kind of, you know, took, you know, they just jumped right in with both feet. And both of them, you know, when they went to college, it was, you know, it was, I think it was harder. I'm not sure which one it was harder. It's weird with your first, but then it's also weird with your last, you know, it's, and you're really going home to an empty nest where there's no more kids at home. But I would say neither one of them contacted us a lot, you know, when they needed something or they had a legitimate question, but we kind of just let them be, which is hard. <laughs> it's hard to just kind of step back and not know where they are and mm-hmm. let them be on their own, which is, you know, kind of funny that when we told our kids that we had to, we were moving from Wisconsin to Cincinnati, you know, we didn't re- like we knew it would be sad leaving our home that we raised them in for most of the years, but I, our son got really emotional, which surprised me. And I think it was because initially he was mistaken that he was going to have to move with us. (laughs) And then when he realized he didn't have to, he was like, Oh, fine. And he, he ultimately did have to come live with us. He was in his freshman year when COVID hit in March. And so his dorm closed down. And so he came down here with us to Cincinnati from March to June, but as soon as he saved up enough money to move in with to an apartment with his friend from yeah. Elkhorn, um, he was gone. He was back. He was back. What did in your Milwaukee. kids major in? So our daughter was she started out engineering, and she actually had a scholarship for that. And she got about, I think it was her second semester. You know, we got the text message like, "Mom, I'm not sure I want to yeah. stick with engineering," and she was torn because she had the scholarship and we said, it doesn't, you know, that can't be the reason that you keep doing something if you don't really enjoy it. So she switched to history, political science. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember exactly. I thought she was really close to having a math major because she loves math, but, and so she graduated with that and she was kind, she's kind of thinking like right now she's graduated and she's working a customer service job for, um, Generac generators. So she speaks to people who are under a lot of stress when their generator is not working. And I think eventually she may want to go back to grad school, but she's kind of thinking she'll try to do it online and stay, 
in the Milwaukee area where it's less expensive to live. And then eventually I think she would like to maybe move to the East coast. Um, That was her plan. You know, we'll see how that changes and evolves over time. As you get a little bit further out of school, sometimes it's not always like the thought of going back is not always, you know, like, Oh, I was going to do that. And then you change your mind. And then our son started out as film, which surprisingly UWM has is like a top 10 film school in the whole country. So he started in film and then he too, we got that text where he said, I'm not sure I want to keep doing film. And I think that was um, kind of affected too by the, by COVID because a lot of the projects that they, his freshman year, they would do together in labs and they'd have the camera equipment to check out and they'd work together And then with COVID, everything switched to being online. And so I think it just, and I think too, he was having some questions about what he was going to do after graduation. If he didn't necessarily want to produce, you know, feature films or documentaries, what else would he do with that degree? So he switched to English now. He's an English major. So, and his, his passion is comic books. He, he loves comics. He loves um, drawing things like that. So that's amazing. Wow. So did your kids then, I know you said to your daughter that the scholarship doesn't determine your path, which we need to replicate you over and over again, because so many parents do not always, you know, take that, that precedent. Um, now, did they have to go through FAFSA to pay for it? Were there any other scholarships that that they were able to get or? So we did the whole FAFSA thing and we didn't qualify for a ton of financial aid, which was very different than my own experience. And I mean, to talk about that a little bit, I grew up, you know, in the nineties, my dad was a farmer and that was not a lucrative time for, for farming. So I got a lot of financial aid and private schools also, I mean, they were able to offer a lot of, you know, some scholarships, but I got all the federal, you know, loans, grants. And I have, I was able to get some of those forgiven um, for working with low income populations at my school, which was a nice benefit um, to have some of those loans forgiven. But my husband's family was the opposite. They, he and his mom and stepdad together had five kids in college at the same time with their second, you know, they had, you know, they were coming to the marriage with, with teenage kids and all five of them were in college at the same time. And so they paid for everything because of their income level. And so it was two very different philosophies where my husband is like, we have to pay for all of it. And I was like, my parents didn't pay for any of it. You know, we we were paying for my college for at least 15 to 20 years after I graduated. So we kind of met in the middle and we, you know, we saved a good chunk and we told the kids, this is what you get for your year. And then everything above that is either going to have to be student loans or you're paying, you know, yourself. So, you know, we've, we've had a lot of good conversations too with our kids about qualifying for loans and then not using them all if you don't need to, you know, you need to be prudent, prudent with your finances. And just because that money is available, doesn't mean, doesn't mean you should take it if you don't need it. And so you know, it's, there's been a lot of good conversations that way, but it was very, very different, you know, for, from my husband and I, and to try to navigate that together. Yeah, I could, I could imagine. Um, 
I took out, I qualified for Pell Grants and loans and I just took everything out. I accepted everything. This was the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the first child to go away. I was the youngest of three. And back then in the eighties, tuition was like 900 a semester. You know, it was like nothing. Well, nothing now. Yeah. So between undergrad and graduate school, I took out 25,000 total, but I paid back 43,000, you know, because I accepted everything. I took everything out. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. The financial literacy piece was just not part of my wheelhouse growing up. Um, Did you get, um, what work study? I loved work. I had work study. And that was the one thing my parents would kind of cover my work study. So I got to keep my work study money instead of directly applying it to my bill. And I had some interesting jobs when I did work study, but neither of my kids ever got, they didn't ever get work study. My son did work on campus. He was a security, like he wasn't a security guard, but he was, um, Oh, one of the safety walkers. Like if you need, if you call someone in the middle of the night, I did that all the time. Awesome. We give him a hard time because he was the safety walker and he had, so he had to work really late shifts and he was up that the day that we told him we were moving the night before he had worked a night shift and he had, um, stayed up till like three or four in the morning and then went home. And then he had to be down at our house. Cause we were driving to Chicago to see it, Hamilton, the musical. It's like one of those things that's like etched in your brain. We're like, well, we'll just tell him when the, we're in the car. Cause he's, they're kind of a captive audience, you know, we'll kind of have this family discussion and then he was very upset. And then we finally figured he thought we were moving. He was tired because he stayed up half the night and he hadn't eaten much. <laughs> so oh. we got him some food, some pasta yeah. we got through the musical. And then he realized he didn't have to move and he was fine. So, yeah, that's the trifecta right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So what part, how long were you teaching before you went back and got your master's degree? So I, let's see. So I think I was probably four or five years into teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little, it's a little fuzzy. And I, I got my master's degree through Walden university, which was one of the very first programs to offer. You could like do home study. Cause my kids were both, they, I mean, we'd had both of our kids, but they were little. I want to say our daughter was probably four or five and our son was probably two and we were, it was a sacrifice. It was like a two year program. If I remember something in that neighborhood and we paid for it all monthly. And that was a pretty big, I want to say it was three or $400 a month, which for a young couple with two kids, I mean, it was pretty, pretty like we had to really watch our pennies, but it was nice to not have to take out any new loans. Yeah. And it helped, um, bump up my salary, um, and move me along the pay scale and things like that to where I, I got a nice increase at the end of it, but it was painful during it. And it was a very, um, that program was very, I'm trying to think of the right word, very applicable to your classroom when you were, le- I mean, it was almost, I learned so much during that program because, I was able to take what I was reading about and apply it to specific mm-hmm. kids or things I was seeing in the classroom where a lot of your undergrad teaching classes, you might pop into a classroom and do a practicum here and there. But really, I know so many 
people who got to student teaching, even now as an educator and having student teachers in my classroom, Mm -hmm. you know, you see the people who made it all the way through the education program to student teaching and they get into that classroom for all day, every day, and they either don't like it or, you know, they're just lacking some of the skills that you really need to manage a classroom or, you know, and it's, it's, interesting because I have seen some students come in and they were very, very confident about their skills because of their grades and all the, all of these undergrad classes, but that doesn't always translate to success in the classroom when you're trying to manage student behavior and um, that kind of thing. So. Absolutely. That, that is so key. I don't even know how you did it with two young kids. Um, I wanted to go back and get my doctorate in higher education and I couldn't do it. I I don't even know how people do it with families. It is, I'm truly inspired. I cannot even say enough about that. Um, When it helped at that point that we did live close to my family. So we, we had Graham, um, my husband's family is actually from here in Ohio. And so he came to Iowa for college. That's how we met. And then we stayed living close to my family until around 2007. And then we moved to Wisconsin where we didn't know anybody. And now we moved to Ohio where we don't really know anybody, but now I know you so. <laughs> and to move during COVID and all that stuff is a whole nother can of worms. But Oh my gosh. And I know you, you were saying that your son was in his freshman year when COVID hit, he had to move to Cincinnati to be with you and not everybody is an online learner. And mm-hmm. I know I am not, um, having worked with students during the whole COVID experience, um, I worked with students who had no computer at home and we had to scramble to help support them. Um, Did your son have any challenges with being an online learner or? Well, I think some of the film projects were tricky online. I think some of the other classes where they were more of his gen eds were easier. And he actually, he's kind he's an introvert, I would say. So he really preferred the online format, mostly because it allowed such flexibility that he could work almost full time. So the last academic year that was uh, 2020 into 2021, I think, I believe all of his classes were online. And I don't even know if he had to be online at a specific time. Like they were all kind of very flexible as long as you got your work turned in at the, you know, the assigned time. And then this, he kind of said to me, mom, do you think that, do you think I'm going to have to go back to campus this year? And I was like, "Mm, probably at some point you'll have to go back. Like, I don't know for sure, but this, this year he has, what did he tell me? One class meets on campus. One meets online at a specific time that he has to be on the computer and the, but the rest are all flexible still. So, so he's kind of enjoying that piece and you know, we don't, we take his word. He, we don't check his grades. We don't have access. So when he tells us, you know, he's like, I'm getting all A's and B's. And we're like, great. Because he was one of those kiddos who was a little bit hard to motivate in high school. Yeah. And we would go to his parent teacher conferences. And one, one teacher would say, oh, Mitch is so funny. He adds so much to, you know, classroom discussions. And then we go to another, another teacher and they say, well, he doesn't ever really talk. And so we're kind of like, Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and so if he wasn't motivated by the subject matter or the teacher, then sure. he, you know, so we weren't really sure how, 
how that was going to go for him, but he's flourished and done well. And that's great. I have to laugh when I, I, we kind of encouraged him. If you don't know what you want to do, you could just, our little, um, uh, it wasn't little, but there was a technical college right in Elkhorn where we lived and it was called Gateway Community College. And we always said, you know, they worked a lot with the high school. Or if you don't know what you want to do, just you could stay home and go to Gateway for a year or two if you if you want to. And so he really only applied to UWM. He didn't ever really go look at any other schools. He didn't he wasn't interested. So he applied. And I remember one day in December of his senior year, I was walking my kids at school to the lunchroom. And I happened to have my phone with me and I got a text message and he said, mom, I got in and here I am in the hallway at school and I'm like crying. And some of my coworkers are like, oh my gosh, is everything all right? What's going on? And I'm like, no, it's just, he, like, it wasn't that I didn't think he'd get in, but it's like that. I guess I was holding on to like a little nugget of hope, like, well, maybe he'll stay at home and just go, you know, go for a couple more years and he'll still be around. And it was kind of like ripping the bandaid off, like, no, he's actually, actually leaving. So, yeah. So is he living on campus or is he in an apartment now? He's in an apartment now. Yeah. So, yeah. And typical college kid style, he moved into an apartment in 2020. And then a year later, when the lease is up, he's like, we're moving to a new apartment. Can you come help me move? So we drive up from Cincinnati. We get a U-Haul. And he moved one block. It was one block over. And then he just texted us last week and said that he started to work for a comic book store. And they have an apartment over the comic book store that he'll get to move into next June when his lease is up. So I guess any... You know, he's like, will you come help me move again? And okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's what, what we do for our kids. That's, that's what, what we do. Yeah. So I actually um, got connected with you through Made to Do This, right? Yeah. Through Kathy Heller last year um, in the September cohort. Um, Kathy Heller has a, a coaching program where um, it's really designed to help us reconnect with our inner, uh, potential. And, uh, I felt like I had lost it many, many years ago and I had a very positive experience. I'm still in touch with our pot, my pod. And, um, when you started that program, what was your goal? So I was working last year, I kind of started my own business, which I'm not doing so much now, but I was helping families navigate online learning with COVID and amazing. mostly because I, I was, wasn't working in schools and I was at home a lot and I would see parents like, I don't know what to do with my kid. They're struggling with this or this. And so I, you know, I had some people reach out to me, you know, can you help my wife who's trying to help our kindergartner? And I was like, sure. So that was kind of my first, um, that was how I got into the program because I was starting this. But I honestly think now looking back that it was kind of just sent to me by the universe because I I had moved here to Cincinnati and I didn't know anybody. And then last year at this time, I started to have some health issues. And so I really couldn't leave the house. Like there was, I needed to be, needed to have some surgery. So I needed to test negative for COVID. So I had to be really guarded with- yeah who I came into contact with. And so 
having that connection again with my pod and, you know, everybody that I've met, you know, I've met people all over, you know, the country and all over the world. And just to have that connection with people when I was really at a time in my life where I didn't have any, because I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I'm a people person. I'm used to having, you know, a whole classroom full of kids to like nurture a relationship with and having coworkers that I love working with and to just kind of be here in your house and not really have any of that, you know, it was, I kind of felt like I was adrift, but it was so interesting going into that program and kind of looking back, you know, like I was talking about, you know, how I even became a teacher, you know, I really was able to look at that kind of as a third party, like, you know, do I still want to be a teacher? Sometimes yes, but sometimes I'm not sure, you know, I know I'm good at it, but I also think that there's so many other things that I might, I might do. And even though I'm kind of, you know, I'm in middle age, I think it's, you know, you're never too, you're never too old to try new things. So I, you know, started teaching indoor cycle this year, which has been a fun way to meet people. But even that whole inner child work that we did with Kathy was fascinating because I think one of the very first meetings we had where she asked us to like, imagine ourselves as kids and, you know, what our families thought about money and things like that. And just, I had a beautiful childhood. You know, I've mostly worked my entire educational career um, in schools where there's a large number of kids who come, you know, with lots of issues, whether they're related to poverty or, you know, they speak a second language or I've seen more abuse and neglect than I thought I would see when I got into education. And you're teaching kindergartners. Oh, (gasps) yeah. You saw this at that level. Yes. And that's one of the reasons that I, like, I was really burned out with, with teaching. I love my coworkers. I love my school. I love my principal. I love the kids, but I really think having to move for my husband's job was probably, even though he doesn't work from the office that we move for anymore, was really what was supposed to happen. You know, I'm a very positive, like, do I look at it sometimes? And sometimes, you know, I joke with my husband. I'm like, oh, if I had been that wife who was like, I'm not leaving till the end of the school year, we probably never would have left because COVID. But I'm I'm also very thankful that I didn't have to teach through COVID with kindergartners. And I, I do feel some guilt because a, um, a student, someone just out of college took over as my long-term sub and she got maybe six weeks with the kids in person before they transitioned to online learning. Um, but just looking back and the whole Kathy Heller experience was so was eye-opening, I guess. And when I think about my childhood, that was just beautiful. Both of my sets of grandparents lived close by. They were all farmers. Um, just a very loving, safe, nurturing environment. Like, I think when we did that childhood, um, like looking back at our, you know, our seven-year-old self, I think a lot of my like hesitation to, you know, to try to even think on a bigger level about anything was because when you're a farmer, you don't ever, you don't, you don't move. You don't, you don't, you stay where your land is. And so the thought that, oh, well, I could go somewhere else and I could dream bigger. It was almost like walking away from that comfort and that love 
of where I was nurtured. And like everyone was, you know, very joyful. And, you know, they only ever lived eight miles from where they were born. But, you know, they were so happy and so joyful. And so I think on some level, it felt a little bit like abandoning Mm -hmm. that love to like, oh, well, I want to, you know, I have this idea or this idea, you know, that whole idea of being thankful. And my mom, my mom always used to say, bloom where you're planted because we lived in the middle of nowhere. And I wanted to do things like gymnastics or, you know, all of these activities that were not anywhere where she could drive me to. And so she's like, well, you just have to bloom where you're planted. And I think that really stuck like, oh, you know, and it kind of kept me in a little circle for a long time. And now I just kind of am open to all opportunities that come my way. And whether they're big or small, like doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, the experience is what, you know, I think about. You're not doing your family program for, I mean, I still help anybody, you know, if anybody reaches out to me and, you know, they're struggling with online learning or, you know, hopefully your kids are getting back to, you know, in school, Mm -hmm. you know, learning, but even, you know, if your kid's struggling with in school learning, you know, I'm happy to help anybody, but I think too, I've always been a teacher. And so just trying to like, Oh, what else is out there? And that was kind of what was safe and comfortable. And so who knows what, what, what I'll do in my next reiteration of, you know, life, but I don't know. We'll see, I guess. That's awesome. I just, I'm hoping to just volunteer and I'm in a place right now where I don't, I'm, I can work part-time and I can try lots of different things and put them all together and, you know, see what makes me happiest. And, and to, I, I want to have a flexible schedule. That was the other thing about teaching. My mom has advanced Alzheimer's and they live 12 hours away. And so um, when you're teaching and she was diagnosed in 2013. So, you know, just when you're teaching and then you have to leave a classroom full of kids with a substitute Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was just a lot of guilt, you know, guilt for not being with my family and then guilt if I did leave the classroom for four or five days to go and help. And so that was one of the things we were, I was looking forward to most about our move here was that I didn't have to work full-time right away. And I could kind of spend, you know, what's probably going to be my mom's last couple of years, having more time to spend with her and my dad and and then COVID hit and, you know, cause we had just gotten her into the nursing home when COVID hit. And so it was just all kind of How nuts. is she doing now? So she, I mean, with Alzheimer's and dementia, it's, you know, I always say the current moment you're in is the best it's ever going to be. Okay. And so um, I have a very wise husband who once said, you, you just have to stop comparing where she is now to what she sure. used to be. Um, she's been nonverbal for a few years. So, you know, we can't really have a conversation, but she smiles and she's happy. And um, her nursing home has done a great job of keeping everyone safe. They're in a very rural kind of unvaccinated area. Mm -hmm. So they've had to close down to visits again, which is really hard on my dad. They've been married for 51 years. So um, they actually had to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary last year with a, um, parking lot party she was inside and he was outside um so they had the initial covid shutdown closed the nursing home for about 15 months and then this year in may he was able to start getting back in and then 
just, I went home about a week ago and right before my visit, they had to close down again because they had some staff members test positive and the, the rate in the area around her nursing home is going up again. So we don't know for sure how long it'll be this time, but right. so, you know, it's one of those things where you just have to savor every, every visit and yeah. every, you know, cause we just don't know how much time we have left. So are you an only child? No, I have two brothers. So I'm the middle. Okay. I'm the only girl though, which is the unique, mm-hmm. I'm a daddy's girl. And I think some unique pressures come with being the only daughter and especially with an, you know, an ill parent, you know, I get the, you know, dad will listen to you. Why don't you give him a call? And so I've had to kind of be like the bear, like, I think, you know, things kind of pushing the wagon forward to what we need to do to take care of her and things like that. But sure. yeah. So I love your, um, outlook on it. Um, it's, you know, that sandwich generation where you have kids you're raising, even though they're in their twenties and aging parents and you're not local and no, it can be that survivor's guilt, all of that. Um, even though they're still alive, it's like you're pulled in 12 different directions and it can be very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. Wow. So I guess in wrapping up, what would be your advice from being a student, not only for undergrad and graduate, but also helping your two children go through college? What would be your advice for other college students or parents as to how they can um, help their own children acclimate and be, you know, you let go. You're, You're allowing your kids to come to you. You're not checking their grades. Like you said, you're not, um, on them all the time. And, and you've created such, um, I think for me, what I heard is a very sacred relationship filled with respect and kindness and trust. And, um, having worked as a college administrator for many years, we don't always get that. (laughs) Yeah. Like we get the opposite. So uh-huh. um, I would I love, think, love for I, you to share some advice. And, and well, I think my husband, you know, probably, I mean, I think it took a little bit of prompting to like, for my husband, especially to be like, okay, this is there when it got to be the college selection thing. Yeah. Like this is their journey. Like we're not projecting what we want onto them. And that's so hard to do because our daughter, um, she originally applied to the university of Wisconsin, which is very selective and the university of Minnesota and the university of Iowa. And she got into Iowa and Wisconsin and then was waitlisted at Minnesota. And I thought for sure she was going to go with Wisconsin because that originally was like her big school. Like that's where she really wanted to go. Madison, the flagship school, all of this. And then at the last minute in the fall of her senior year, she said, I think I want to go visit UWM. And so she and my husband went up and it was probably the first month of school, which as a kindergarten teacher, you really can't be gone the first week, of, <laughs> the first month of school. So I did not go along and she came home and was just in love. And like right away, she's like, that's where I want to go. And I was like, are you sure? Like, and I think partially because 
I'm more of, you know, I grew up in the country and, you know, Mm -hmm. and Madison is a beautiful campus. It is, you know, lakefront and you go to visit the dorms and you are looking over Lake Mendota and like, it's just beautiful. And then I went to visit UWM with her and it's very urban and there are homeless people sleeping in the union and things like that. And so, you know, like the mom in me was like, I don't know if I, you know, didn't see that at Madison, but you know, I kind of just boop. And, you know, this is her, this is what she wants. And she was, she was just so excited. And I think too, that's my biggest tip for parents who are, you know, in that, those last few months before their kids go to school, it is so hard to not be sad. Yeah. You know, and if it really helped that um, Liz was so excited and she got to go a little bit early, like to do a little research in the summer before her freshman year. So she went in July for a month to campus and did some research. And then she came back home for a month and then went back for good. And so I just reminded myself it was okay to be sad, but I always thought about like that whole kind of back to father of the bride, this movie reference when, you know, Steve Martin is so angry and his wife is like, you are stealing her joy. And I was like, I don't want to be the person I don't want her to have to be worrying about me right. when she goes to college. I want, I want her to just be focused on her joy and not her sad mom. And so um, it's a little bit trickier with our second, you know, like our son was, he was excited to go, but like not as exuberant about it. So he was a little more guarded. And so, you know, I've, you know, I tried, so then I was kind of the opposite. I was trying to like, pep him up and like, Oh, you're going to have so much fun. And so I think just knowing your kids and kind of reading their reaction and just making sure that you're not bringing them down. Like, did I cry? Absolutely. Like after we dropped her off and I got all the way home and, you know, I was probably in the shower and I was crying, but I, you know, I didn't want her to see that side of, of it. I wanted her to only focus on the excitement and the possibility and the new journey and what she was going to be facing. So that's beautiful. That's awesome. Yes, we definitely need to clone you. A hundred percent. I just want to thank you for taking this time out. I am so inspired. I have kids in high school. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as you're talking, I'm like, okay, she's going to be my life coach in two years. <laughs> Because I'm going to like right now, I'm the mom who's like, oh, my God, you know, I don't want to be the helicopter mom, but I'm like a little bit intrusive. I know this, Um, especially because my high school sophomore came home and said, I want to go to MIT. And I'm like, ah, okay. And I want to be supportive, but I don't even think I've made that much a year myself, you know, 68,000. You know, oh, you, yeah. No worries. Yeah, I don't think I even hardly made that with a master's degree. And same. same. Yeah. So um, I'm definitely going to be tapping into you, but I'm so grateful that we were able to talk and Me we are too. for sure going to do coffee soon yes. um, because first of all, coffee is life yes. and you're 30 minutes away from me. So right. I'm really looking forward. We're close. Thank you for Yay. taking time to speak with me. I'm oh, so grateful. Absolutely. Thanks so much.